In the course of our lives, there is rarely a bigger announcement that we get to make than the arrival of a child. Some of the best videos I've ever seen on the internet are of people telling their parents that they are going to be grandparents. Now the best ones, and I'm sure some of you have seen these too, the best ones are the, one, are the ones where the grandma can't figure it out, right? Like, what, what do you mean there's a bun in the oven or whatever? I don't understand. But then the light turns on, right? And joy overflows. Some of you may even have had an experience similar to this. The announcement of a child is often held back, right? You don't tell everyone right away because you don't want people to know too early on. And often, one of the parents is really struggling with having to wait. And they just want to tell one or two or 17 people. But they have to wait. They have to hold it in. But usually the anticipation is worth it, isn't it? It's even more exciting when the couple has been hoping for a child for a long time and it hasn't just happened. The news that they are finally going to be parents is cause for great joy. And so we come to the announcement of Jesus this morning. Here in the Gospel of Luke, we see that finally the most anticipated child in history is going to arrive. He was promised all the way back in Genesis 3 when our first parents fell into sin. And the pages of Holy Scripture have followed the path to this arrival all the way back to Genesis 3. And finally, the Messiah, the one who will crush the head of the serpent, he is going to arrive. Now, before we break down our points that help us navigate the text today, I just want to comment that I'm excited for us to be in this early part of Luke right now, because we're extremely familiar with this story, but usually we're looking at these texts in the context of the Christmas season, right? And over the next few weeks, we're blessed with an opportunity to consider the story of the arrival of Jesus, devoid of concerns about preparing Christmas meals or wondering whether or not the, the gifts are going to arrive on time and be under the tree as we hope. We have a wonderful opportunity here to think about the fulfillment of this prophetic promise of the Messiah apart from the natural sentimentality that comes with the holiday season. And then we're blessed again. We're, we're going to be able to go a few weeks after we've looked at this story of the unfolding drama of redemption, we're going to be able to go and we're going to come in contact with the holiday season. We're going to hear the Christmas story again. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew in that sense, or in that, in that, in that time. But we will hopefully come to Christmas this year with a new understanding of the significance of what we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas. And so we come today to the story in Luke, and we're going to spell out our points before we begin our journey into the text this morning. And the first one, that, the first thing that we're going to see is that Mary finds favor before God. An angel comes to make an announcement to Mary that God's hand is upon her. 
And we get no indication in the text that Mary is super, extra, double, triple righteous or anything, and that God selected her because of this for this role. Instead, what we find is that God is bestowing this upon her by his grace. Secondly, we see that she is going to bear a child. And this is no ordinary child. He has a special name. He will be called by very unique titles. And he is connected to two of the biggest names in the entire Old Testament. This is no ordinary child. He will be a king who will reign over a kingdom that will have no end. And finally, we see that this is not like any other births in Scripture. Just last last week, we saw news of a miraculous birth that was going to happen with John being born to Elizabeth and Zechariah in their advanced years and after decades of her being barren. Now, you find multiple examples of children being born to women who are barren in the Bible. But none of them are more barren than Mary because Mary is a virgin. This conception and the birth of Jesus is miraculous and only the sovereign Lord of all creation can accomplish this. And so we begin the next stretch of our journey through the Gospel of Luke as we look at verses 26 through 30 of chapter 1 and we find our first points that Mary finds favor with God. And here we see that the angel Gabriel is once again on the move. He is in the message delivery business here in the beginning of Luke. If you're going to have all the jobs as an angel, wouldn't telling people they're going to have kids be the best job to have if you're an angel? I would think so, right? He gets to deliver good news. Last week he spoke to Zechariah, and this week we find that he is delivering an announcement to Mary. We find out some important details here about the life of the woman that he is visiting. She's from Nazareth in Galilee. She's not from a big city. Nazareth is out of the way. It's out in the sticks, and it's not much of a place to think of. Mary isn't royalty, and we don't find out that she is of some some sort of importance. And we also learn that she is betrothed. Now, at some point, you've probably heard being betrothed described as being similar to what we would call being engaged. And while there is some truth to that, it's probably the closest description that we can fully understand in our culture, there's so much more to being betrothed than what we would call engagement. Because to get rid of one of our standard engagements, basically all that needs to happen is one party only needs to state that it's over. There's no legal arrangement And you just call it off if you want to. But a betrothal requires a divorce. The couple was essentially married, but the union had not yet been consummated, and they did not live together. Regardless of those two missing elements of a marriage, two important elements, it was a binding contract. And we find out that the one that she is betrothed to is of the house and of the lineage of David. And this is significant because it is promised that the Messiah will be from the line of David. In Matthew, we learn that Mary is from the line of David as well. And here in Luke, we read that the betrothed of Mary is in the line of David. But I've gotten ahead of myself in the story by giving up the plot of why the angel has visited Mary. Thankfully, 
I don't have to feel bad for not saying spoiler alert. You know that Jesus is coming. You know the story. We revisit it every year, and we know the names, Mary and Joseph, very well. And we also know the story of how they play an important role in the story of redemption. And so we aren't surprised at all by the angel's statements because we've heard it before. But it should cause us to take notice. Gabriel, a messenger from Almighty God, addresses this young virgin woman from a backwater region of Israel as favored one. That's an important greeting. It's a substantial statement. She is favored by God. And the Lord is with her. God has come to her and is placing his favor on her. We sometimes get the idea that God was sitting in the heavens. And he's checking all the women of the lineage of David and and ticking off boxes and, and keeping track of their lives and looking for the best and the greatest and the brightest of women to be the one who who will carry the promised seed of the woman. But we get no indication that God has found Mary to be the brightest and best of her generation or anything like that. The angel is visiting Mary because God has decided to show her favor. This is grace. And it's because of God's sovereign will, not the merit of Mary. And this greeting from Gabriel causes Mary to pause and wonder what it all means. And we don't know exactly why she was greatly troubled at this greeting. But perhaps she thought back to the history of the Old Testament. And maybe she remembered someone who was said to have found favor in the sight of God. And she recalled what that meant for them. And my mind immediately goes back to Noah. God found favor in Noah, and he was given the task of building an ark of salvation to preserve the promise of God against his wrath in the flood. To have favor from God is a wonderful thing, no doubt. But it's no promise of an easy path. It's no promise that life is going to be all sunshine and rainbows. To be favored by God may be a difficult path. Because God has set you aside to be his servant. And we're going to find that this is truly no easy task for Mary. But the angel reassures by telling her not to be afraid. Regardless of what is to come, it's from God. His grace is upon her. His hand shall provide for her. While his favor does not mean life will be easy, it does mean that he will be with her and he will not abandon her. And so we've seen that Mary has received the favor of God by his grace. And as we move on to our second point, look at verses 31 through 33, we see the announcement of this coming child. The angel angel tells her that she will conceive in her womb and she will have a son whose name will be Jesus. And this name, this name is important. This name means the Lord saves. The name that he has given tells us the purpose of his coming. He is going to save his people. And the saving is not going to be because of human will, but it is going to be because of divine intervention. The Lord 
is going to save his people. It will not be armies or by some other human intervention or endeavor. The Lord is going to save his people. This is what the name of Jesus, the Lord save, Yahweh saves, means. And we also learn that he will be called something else, Son of the Most High. This is a substantial title. He is not an ordinary person. The Lord of heaven and earth is the one that he is connected to. He is his Son. And we have to make sure we understand that this means more than just he is liked by the Most High. The implication here is that this one who is to come is divine because he is the offspring of the Most High. And we also see that the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And this is an extremely significant statement because we've seen that the Messiah is promised all the way back to the, in the third chapter of Genesis, right? And we've also seen how this promise has been narrowed down. We've been following the line as we've been in Genesis We saw that the promised seed of the woman would come through Seth. And then we followed the promise through Noah's son, Shem. And then it narrows to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and eventually to Judah. And then later on in the Old Testament, we find that the promise gets narrowed to David. And that is what this statement is about. The promise is that the Messiah will be a king who will reign forever forever. The angel Gabriel is making sure that we understand that this is absolutely the Messiah that's being promised. That's the point. This is the Messiah. Gabriel is letting us know and letting Mary know this is the promised one. This isn't the hope of a child that maybe he will be. He is the promised one. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the one whose name is the Lord saves. And at this time in history, there would have been a high level of messianic expectation. The people back then would have been doing some math because Daniel made a prediction of 70 weeks of years, and after the 69th year, there would have been the arrival of the Messiah who would have caused them to expect the Messiah to come and to save them from the Romans. They're expecting this prophecy of Daniel's to come and pass. It could have been that many women of the era were hoping that their child, when they conceived a child, that they would have hoped that maybe, just maybe the child in their womb would be the one who would redeem Israel because he has been promised, and this is the time of messianic expectation. And what do we have here? What do we have now? We have this announcement of the Messiah being made to this woman who is favored by God in Nazareth, in Galilee. The king is coming. And his kingdom will have no end. This is a significant pronouncement. And it's important that we get a sense of the impending nature of this pronouncement. This promise has been expected for a long time. We've been feeling this tension. Is he going to come? This has been a promise that we have been hoping for for so long. And now it is upon them. It has been something they hoped would come soon for so long, but now it is close. It is at hand. 
because a child will be conceived, and then the time will be here. Something that has been hoped for through all of biblical history from the very beginning is finally here. It will be here soon. And as we move on to our final point, we see that Mary is humbled by the news. But there is a problem with this pronouncement. She's a virgin. And this is a really good question that she has. And it's an obvious one. She knows how basic human reproduction works. And if she is going to have a child in her womb, there is an important factor that is missing. She has never known a man. And the angel lets her know how this will be achieved. The Holy Spirit is going to do the work. Again, we see that this is an act of God and not something done by the will of man. This Jesus, the Lord saves Jesus, is not going to be born because a husband wills to have a child, but instead because God ordains it to come to pass. This is completely and fully on God. And the only details we have on how this is going to happen is that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And while we struggle to understand this miracle, when we think about it, this, this is nothing for the sovereign of all of creation to do. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence. For a virgin to conceive is nothing for a God who parted the Red Sea and caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. A God who does wondrous things is doing a wondrous thing here to bring salvation to his people. And this miraculous birth causes the child to be set apart and holy and to be called the Son of God. He is special. He is the promised one. And as I've mentioned in the past, God ordains this to come to pass to reflect other stories in the line to the child of the promise. So many times, the holdup in the stories that we've seen in the line to the Messiah have been that the women are barren. And there is consistently tension in the text, isn't there? And we're wondering, will the child ever be born? And every time, what happens? God is able to overcome the barrenness and to provide a child. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, they all had this as a part of their story. And the world would have seen these women as cursed. But God, in His mercy, was using all of this to show His glory. And because of His work in their lives, they are now called blessed. And we get here to Luke, and we have seen the story again, but in a new way. Mary is not barren and has been seeking out a child with her husband that won't come. Instead, her womb is barren because she is a virgin. And just as God has overcome the barren wombs of the great women of the faith in the past, he is going to overcome this obstacle also. Because Mary will conceive the promised one, Jesus, the one whose name is the Lord saves and as evidence of the miraculous works that God can do. We have Gabriel giving the announcement to Mary about her relative Elizabeth, who is conceived in an old age and is six months along. 
And the angel uses this news of Elizabeth's conceiving as proof that nothing will be impossible with God. To save his people, God can overcome every obstacle. Why? Because he's God. And we often look at this as a statement that we can do anything. We can pursue our dreams and God will help us. But that's not what this verse is about. It's about the Lord of heaven and earth radically rescuing a people for himself by the means that he ordains. God saves his people, and they will know that it is because of nothing that they have done. It was impossible that Isaac would be born to Sarah in her advanced years, but God made it happen. It was impossible for God to flood the whole world and have the one survive in the ark who was in the line to the Messiah, but God did just that. It was impossible for the Hebrew people to be released from slavery in Egypt, but God used the plagues to accomplish it. It's unthinkable that while the Hebrew people are fleeing from Egypt, that they would be able to escape through the Red Sea on dry land, but they did. It is unthinkable that God could rescue a sinner like me And give me eternal life. But through the work of this child that we are talking about today, that's exactly what he did. He does the impossible. Our salvation by grace alone through faith alone would be impossible, except nothing is impossible with God. And after this promise is made, we see the most amazing response from Mary. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a response. I'm humbled by her statement there. What a response. Our our modern minds would probably respond with some sort of comment about how, you know, God, I kind of had other plans. You know, Joseph and I We're going to get married, and we're going to save up. We were going to get a house and have 2.5 kids and save up for retirement. We were going to travel. You know, really, this isn't really in my plans, God. But Mary understands that she has been blessed by God and that his sovereign will is the most important thing. The Savior is coming. And he will do his perfect will through her. And so she responds that she is his servant and wants the will of the Lord to be done according to his word. And what an amazing example this is for us. She is responding in gratitude to the word of the Lord. She realizes the grace and favor that she has received from the Lord. And so she acknowledges that she is the Lord's servant. And this is where I want to land as our point of application for today. As we step away from this place this week to be God's servants in a lost and dying world, we look to the example of Mary today. Now you and I are not going to be visited by an angel and God is not going to give us a specific word of how he is going to use us. But he has given us a very clear pronouncement of his grace that he has shown to us in his word. He has put his favor upon us. 
We have been saved by His grace. And though we look at our sin and perhaps think it would be impossible for us to be saved, nothing is impossible with with God. We confessed in our call to confession this morning just how depraved we are. We have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In fact, we said that we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. But yet God did an amazing thing. He rescued us by his grace. God the Son did the impossible. He took on human flesh for us. He was conceived in the womb of Mary, and he was born, and he lived a perfect life for us. He suffered for us, and he died to bear the wrath of God for our sin. And he rose again to ensure our own resurrection. And this all seems impossible. But the good news, sisters and brothers in the Lord, is that this was accomplished for you and for your salvation. Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And so our natural response to this amazing news of God's grace should reflect that which we see in Mary. Behold, we are servants of the Lord. He has saved us by his grace, and so let it be to us according to his word. May we depart from here this morning, emboldened to be his servants in the world. May the good news that we have been saved by grace through faith be on our lips, and may we serve God for the grace that he has shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we believe the word of God as it has been proclaimed to us that we might trust in the glorious salvation that we have in Jesus. Amen.